to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. This morning we read and studied about our God who is able. Our God who is able. He's able to do that which is impossible for us to save our eternal souls. We cannot save our souls. We cannot save ourselves by our own works. But the Lord Jesus Christ is able to save His people from their sins. And He has. And all who come to Him, He's saved. And He saves. He is the mighty, mighty Redeemer. Tonight we're going to look at a God ready to pardon. A God ready to pardon. Nehemiah chapter 9, we'll start in verse 16. But they and our fathers dwelt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey, verse 17. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks in their rebellion, appointed a captain to return to their bondage. Now, all of us left in our natural state would have done the same thing. They appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Oh, the long-suffering of our great God the long-suffering of our king. They cried out. They wanted to return to Egypt. They quarreled with God's sovereignty. They quarreled with God's sovereignty. They quarreled with His wondrous works. God would have been just to destroy them. We were talking this week. And if there was no election, no one would be saved. No one. God would be just to send everyone to hell. But God, oh, our God is long-suffering. Long-suffering towards His people. The Israelites did not get what they deserved. And we who are the redeemed of Christ don't get what we deserve. We've obtained mercy. Mercy. What a great God. And then Scripture goes on, Yea, verse 18, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that bought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations. They made a molten calf. They bowed down before it. Even though God had done many wonders in their, in their midst. Scripture goes on, Yet thou in thy manifold mercies, all the mercies of God in Christ, forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed them not, not from them by day to lead them in the way. Neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way wherein they, they should go. Does this not show us right, right here the long suffering of our great God? They're shaking their fist at him. He's doing incredible things. Shaking his fist at their fist at them. Oh, the long suffering of God. The long suffering of God towards his people. And every one of us say Amen. Because we were there. And then verse twenty Thou give us also thy good spirit to instruct them, and, and withheld us not thy manna from their mouth, and give us them water for thirst. And here's where our text is found in verse seventeen too and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks. In the rebellion, appointed a captain to return to their bondage, but thou art a God ready to pardon. Our God is a God who is ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful. Oh, He's full of grace. He's, he's full of mercy. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and of a great kindness and forsook them not. 
The God of the Bible shows mercy and He pardons guilty sinners. Guilty sinners. He gives grace to guilty, bankrupt sinners. He's a God ready to pardon. Now, He'll not pardon the self-righteous. We saw that this morning, didn't we? The self-righteous have no need for the physician, do they? They see no need for God. They see no need for Christ. But remember, he was with publicans and sinners. Oh, praise God. He'll not pardon the self-righteous. They see no need for healing. As they think they're already saved by their works or by their standing or by who they are. But they will perish in their sins. Lost and wake up in hell. Doom awaits the self-righteous sinner if God leaves him where he is. If God leaves him where he is. Mark chapter 2 says this, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. Right? I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mark chapter 2 verse 17. Are you a sinner? Everyone God saves has been showing that they're a sinner. God saves sinners. He saves sinners. Our God has not left us to guess about His character, but He's revealed Himself through the Scriptures to us. And He must reveal Himself or we'll never know Him. We looked at this verse this morning, and I'll go over it again. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall, he shall save his people from their sins. You could read that scripture to me. Whoa. You could read that scripture to me over and over and over and over again. That's balm. That's comfort for the sinner's heart. He shall, which means he's accomplished it. Save his people on their sins. Oh, that's good news for sinners. That's good news for sinners. The question is, are you a sinner? Because God must reveal to you that you're a sinner. Our God is a holy God. The, book, the God of the Bible is a holy, holy God. He's, he's righteous. He's majestic. He's sovereign. He's holy. David spoke of him and said, Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. Have you called upon God? We who are saved are just saved sinners who said, God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. The problem is, folks don't think they're sinners. But every one of us is born into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We're sinners. We need pardon. We need a pardon. We need mercy. And God is plenteous in mercy. Plenteous in mercy. What comfort for guilty sinners. And we see His long-suffering in the text with Israel, right? He was long-suffering with them. They kept shaking their fist. He's doing wondrous works. And they're rebelling. Well, what sinners we are. And we rebel, right? Oh, but God is merciful to His people, isn't He? In Christ. We don't get what... They didn't get what they deserved. And those in Christ don't get what they deserve. We get pardon. God's dealing with Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of how He deals with spiritual Israel which is His elect. Think on this, beloved. Who made Israel to differ in the Old Testament? Out of all those nations of the world, who chose them? 
God. It's a picture of him choosing his people. See, folks get mad about election and they, they shake their fist about election, but God was a choosing God in the Old Testament. Why would we think he'd change? God doesn't change. God, God is God. He can do whatever he pleases. And then the scripture comes to us, the question comes to us, we who believe, who made, who made thee to differ from another? Only God. Who made me to differ from my two brothers who aren't saved? Who have no interest in the gospel? God. Only God. Only God in Christ. And then if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? We have, not, we have nowhere to glory, do we? Except in Christ. <laughs> Except in Christ. Why does that glory as if thou hadst not received it? So who made us to differ? We who are believers. Who made us to differ from our family members? From our friends? From the people we work with? Who made us to differ? God. He's the only one. He's made us to differ. We didn't better ourselves because we're sinners. We can't make ourselves better. Remember? We're unable to, to, we're unable to save ourselves. We're, you know, folks like to reform their lives and all that, and it's good to be moral, and we need to be that way, but, but that doesn't gain any merit and favor with God. And if God saves you, your life will change. It'll change. You'll hate the things that you once loved. And the things that you once hated, you'll love them. <laughs> it's incredible. And we are no more deserving of salvation than anyone else, but yet God has mercy on His people and He pardons His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no better than anyone else. It's only God who's made us to differ. And if people think that we think that we're better than them, they don't know people who love Christ then. Now, religious people think that they're better than everyone else and they're flaunted and they're saying, I know because I used to be a religious Pharisee. But since the Lord showed me grace, when I see someone do something, I think, there go I, but for the grace of God. We're capable of horrible things. But God's restraining grace keeps us. He's a great God. We receive pardon. Now, now, I ask you, was Israel more deserving than any of the other nations? No. But God chose them, didn't He? He chose to bestow upon them favor over all the other nations. And so we who are believers are no more deserving than Israel of the mercy which we've received in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we receive? We receive pardon. Forgiveness for not just one of our sins, but all of them. All of them. Redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ. Our, our sins are paid for. We can't pay for one, but all our sins are paid for by the sacrifice of Christ for we who believe. Justified. We can stand in the presence of God made righteous. By Christ. By His righteousness. And it's all undeserved. It's all the pure mercy of God. So who made us to differ? Only God. Only God in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. God is pleased to choose, to justify, and to pardon His elect in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way for us to be pardoned. But yet man keeps trying to, to self-justify themselves before a holy and righteous God, and it's impossible for them to do that. But the believer finds pardon and redemption in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's nowhere else. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 
verse 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God, look at this, without the law is manifested. Where is it manifested? In Christ. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believed. See, if you don't believe, you're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're clothed in your own self-righteousness. But believers are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's the level playing field. Right? Everyone's sinners. So folks who say, you know, well, you Christians, you think you're all there now. No, no, we're just like you. We're worse, probably. <laughs> we're all a bunch of sinners. We've just had revealed to us what we are and who Christ is. And we fled to Him. Being justified, look at this, freely by His grace. We're justified freely by the grace of God in Christ. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus by the, by the shedding of His own precious blood. Remember, He sacrificed Himself for the sins of His people. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier him which believeth in Jesus. His holy law must be satisfied, right? He must be a just God. Right? Christ is the justifier. And we who believe are justified in Christ because of what He's done. He lived the perfect life before God's law. He died before God's law and justice in the room and place of His people. Sinners. So we'll look at God's readiness to pardon His people in Scripture. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. God's readiness to pardon His people is seen in His eternal purpose. Now think of this. The God of the Bible doesn't do... He's not a reactionary God. Remember we looked at that this morning? He doesn't react to the things of the world and the people of the world. He's a God who does things on purpose. On purpose. Nothing is left to chance. Nothing. He's a God who has purposed the salvation of His people, His elect, in Christ Jesus. And this purpose is eternal. It's eternal. Our great God and King is eternal. Right? God's eternal. Therefore, His purposes are eternal. His decrees are eternal. You know, the, the, way, the way some religious folks talk about God, he, he, He's not even God. Our God is God. He, he's eternal. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Unto me who am the least of all saints is, given, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, Paul says he's the least of all saints. And this grace is given. What a privilege to preach the gospel. But look what he preaches. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You can't mine it out. You can't plumb the depths of this mercy. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, <clears throat> which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So he reveals to us that might be, might be known by the church, by his elect, by his called out ecclesia, his called out assembly, his called out people, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose. Oh, God has an eternal purpose. And his... His readiness to pardon is seen in His eternal purpose. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, our salvation is, purchased, or is, is purposed in Christ. 
in Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. God is a God of mercy. He delights to pardon guilty, ruined sinners in Christ. And He will pardon the sinner nowhere else but in Christ. Nowhere else. And He has purposed it from eternity. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived the perfect life for His people. He died the sinner's substitute. He was buried and He rose again. And He's now seated at the right hand of God. And all this was according to God's eternal purpose. See, He didn't react to the fall of Adam. No. He didn't go to plan B. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before Adam ever fell, God had a plan to redeem His people in Jesus Christ our Lord. Before there was ever a sinner, there was a Savior. Before there was ever a sinner, there was a Savior. Oh, a God ready to pardon. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The Lord Jesus Christ was the surety, the mediator of the everlasting covenant from eternity. From eternity. Now the God of peace that bought again from the, from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, His death. He shed His blood for the everlasting covenant to redeem His people from their sins, to redeem the ones who were given to Him in the everlasting covenant. The next point is our God's readiness to pardon is seen. To pardon His people is seen in His gracious provision. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. His gracious provision. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God the Father has provided a Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. His Son. God's Son. God in the flesh. Galatians chapter 4. Look at this. Verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time was come, see, God had planned and purposed for Christ to come into this world. Again, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made of the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's His people. That's the elect of God. Now everyone's under the law, but He redeemed His people from their sins to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We cry out. The believer cries out, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Through Christ. We have an inheritance. Because we're heirs. And it's only in Christ. It's nowhere else. Our great God gave His only begotten Son. What a gracious provision. His only begotten Son. And now think of this verse in light of this. That God gave His only begotten Son. What a gracious provision. And think of this verse that's been unfortunately tore and ripped out of context, but think of it with this in mind, with His gracious provision in mind, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave His only begotten Son. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, came to this world 
to die upon the cross. He was on a mission. His face was set like a flint, steadfast to Jerusalem. I think Brother John and I were talking a few weeks back about how here he is, just a little lad, eh? and he's in the temple. I'm, I'm about my father's business. <laughs> he knew exactly why he was here. And let us remember this. God's law must be satisfied either in the death of a sinner or in the death of a substitute. God's law will be satisfied one way or the other in the death of a sinner or in the death of a substitute. God is a righteous judge and his law and justice must be satisfied. And the Lord Jesus Christ has died in the place of his people. I ask you, is not our God a gracious God? Has not our God provided a gracious provision? The Lamb of God sent to die. Sent to die. In the place of his people. In the place of sinners. Turn, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Sent to die in the place of sinners, in the place of the elect, before God's law and justice. Brother John read, the wages of sin is death. So our sin demands death. Our sins were imputed to Christ and he died in our place. He was perfect and spotless, but yet we're sinners, aren't we? Sinners to the core. Ezekiel 18.20, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked upon him. So, so our sin demands death. The law must be satisfied, right? Christ dies in the place of sinners. And think of this. All the sin of all the elect of all the ages placed upon him, imputed to him. And the sword of God's justice is plunged into him. Mm. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Justice must be satisfied. The law must be satisfied. And our God took to himself sinless humanity. Perfect. Spotless. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Living as our representative, as our substitute, he perfectly obeyed the law for us in all its precepts, in all its penalties. The Lord is well pleased for His righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And He did in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law of God in the place of His people. The law is so satisfied. The law of God is so satisfied in Christ that for those who are redeemed by Christ, those who trust the Savior, for those that have faith in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those for whom Christ died, those for whom trust the Savior, there is therefore now no condemnation to them. Music to the sinner's ears. Balm to the sinner's heart. 
Oh, Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, dies on the cross for His people, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name. There's salvation only in Jesus Christ. God's gracious provision. We see God's readiness to pardon in His gracious provision. He provided the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute for sinners. We see God's uh, readiness to pardon also. To pardon His people is seen in His satisfying propitiation. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. His satisfying propitiation. A big word that theologians like to use. And propitiation. It means atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice. Sin offering. Propitiation. Expiation. One who makes propitiation. First John 4, 9 to, 9 to 11. He's the, the sin offering. The Lord Jesus Christ. First John 4, 9 to 11. In this was manifest the love of God. Remember, we saw the word manifest earlier. Again, here, here God's love is manifested to His people. Manifested. The love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. The gracious provision. That we might live through Him. Here in His love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Remember? The eternal plan. The eternal covenant. The eternal decree. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. But here in His love. Not that we love God. That he sent his, or, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember, he's perfect, spotless, the Lamb of God. God's love was manifested to his people by Jesus Christ our Lord coming into this world and dying on the cross. It's love manifested. God. The eternal God. The one who spoke every spoke the world and the stars into existence. God. Not a peanut God of man's imagination, but the God of the Bible. The sovereign, almighty God became a man. And died in the place of sinners. What condescension. What he 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 just he left the throne of glory. Came to this world and was spit upon, beaten. He came to redeem his people from their sins. And I declare to you, he was successful. And he's seated at the right hand of God. What a great God. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful Oh, God is full of mercy and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. 
merciful and faithful high priest pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. How can God be just and yet justify the ungodly? How can He be a just God and a Savior? This is a vital question of the hour. Nobody's asking. Folks are going to church, different churches, and they're, they're not hearing about Christ. They're hearing how to fix themselves. Do this. Do that. Just try harder. I'm right there with you. I know because I, I, I was in all that stuff. But the sinner's only need is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. That's our one need. And we desperately need Christ. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He shall put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, propitiation. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it has. It has. When did this happen? At Calvary's cross. When the Lord Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. He died in the place of his people, the great substitute, the peacemaker. On Calvary's cross, the Lord Jesus Christ died bearing the sin of his people, which was imputed to him. He suffered in their place before God's law, before God's justice, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, the just one, dying for the unjust. He might bring us to God. Because we can't bring ourselves to God. We saw that this morning. We're not able. But He is able, beloved. He is able, sinner friend. He is able. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What a mighty Savior. What a mighty Savior. God's law and justice is satisfied in Christ. It's honored by the great peacemaker. Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Is that not our cry? That's the sinner's cry, isn't it? Psalm 85, 7. Show us thy mercy, O Lord. Show us thy mercy. And grant us thy salvation. He must grant it. And his people say, Amen, Amen. That's what he's done for me. He showed me mercy. And he's granted me salvation. Oh, what a great God. I will hear what... What God the Lord will speak, for he, he will speak peace unto His people. Peace. And to His saints. But let them not turn again to folly. <clears throat> he has spoken peace to His people. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 85. Psalm 85. Psalm 85, verses 8 to 10. Psalm 85. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Verse 8. For He will speak peace unto His people. And beloved, He has in Christ. He has in Christ. And to His saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely His salvation is nigh. Them that fear Him, that... that that glory may dwell in our land. Look at this. Mercy and truth are met together. They're met together. Mercy and truth. Where? At Calvary's cross. The sacrifice of Christ. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where? At the, at the cross. <clears throat> at the sacrifice of Christ. 
Our great God is a God who pardons His people by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in their place. Oh, I ask you, is this not a marvelous salvation? Is this not a wondrous salvation? Is this not amazing grace? Oh, what a salvation we have in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Micah chapter 7. Oh, what a salvation we have in Christ. Oh, may we, may we leave this place rejoicing. Rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. And in light of all that we've read, right? In, all, in light of, of what we've seen this morning, that God is able, we're not able. In light of what we've seen tonight, that God is a God ready to pardon. Who is a God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee? See, the God of people's imaginations comes nowhere close to the God of the Bible. Look what it says. Who is, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Oh, if you're saved, rejoice. God has pardoned your iniquity. He retaineth not his anger forever because what? Look at this, beloved. He delighteth in mercy. Oh, there's a nail in the sure place again, right? He de- God delights in mercy. Mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. We saw that this morning, didn't we? And thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea where they can be found no more. Brother John used to go on the sea. It's so vast. God casts his people's sins into the depths of the sea. They can't be found. Oh, it's wonderful. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from days of old. Oh, do we not see our God's readiness to pardon his people in the great propitiation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sin offering? And the last point is God's readiness to pardon His people is seen in preaching the Gospel. Preaching the Gospel. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. We must. We must. It's vital. And we must preach it not with words of wisdom. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We must preach it not with words of wisdom, but we must lift Christ up. He is the object of the preaching. Not what the sinner has to do. Christ. Christ. He must be the object of the preaching. Because why? He's the object of our faith. He's the one we look to. We're told to look outside of ourselves, right? And to look to Christ. He's the one thing that sinners desperately need. And again, this is why it's vital that we preach Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians starting in verse, or chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom. And, and remember who Paul was. He's a very learned man. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul tells us here he, that he sent He's sent to preach the gospel, not to baptize or not to preach checklist Christianity. Right? But his main commission, his order from the king, is to preach the gospel, to preach Christ. 
to preach the Lord Jesus Christ crucified, the sinner's only substitute. And then look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Just to remember where we came from. Remember what the gospel was to us. Remember how we discounted it as nothing. Now it's precious, isn't it? Now the one who it speaks of is precious to the believer. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. To we who believe, eh? Look at this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Where are all these philosophers that lived in days gone by? Dead in the grave? Where's our king? In glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, in power, in majesty. Oh, for it is written, I will destroy destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The preaching of the gospel destroys worldly wisdom. It destroys proud sinners. It does. And then it continues, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where are they? They've perished. Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look at verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching (laughs) to save them that believe. God uses the preaching of His gospel. Remember this morning, that lost sheep? He uses the preaching of His gospel to draw His sheep back to Himself. And they run to the shepherd. They run to the substitute because they've shown they have they've been shown they have no ability to come to God. None. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God uses the preaching of the gospel to save sinners in his infinite wisdom. He has devised a very simple means to call out his elect. Would we ever have come up with this idea? No. <laughs> oh, but 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 it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And I'll read John chapter, not, John chapter 10, which says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And we looked at this this morning. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God's sheep will hear the shepherd's voice. How? Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of his word. A.W. Pink said that. That God uses the preaching of his gospel for the, to open up the ears of his sheep. Look at Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. What? Look at this. It's not a question, is it? shall be saved. I love those little words. That little word shall is marvelous in Scripture. Romans 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not everyone calls upon the name of the Lord. But those who are made willing, those who the Holy Spirit regenerates, they call upon the name of the Lord. And and what's the result of that? Shall be saved. How shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? Now, How do you know about someone if you've never heard of them? And how shall they believe believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? God's messengers must be sent of God. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, reconciliation with God. And bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And in verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
The Lord Jesus Christ draws His sheep, draws sinners to Himself by the preaching of His Word. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter, and we're close with this. And think of this, beloved. God's sheep will hear the shepherd's voice through the preaching of, of His Word. Wherever His people are, whoever they are, God will cross their path with the truth of salvation revealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. I once heard, a, uh, I think it was Brother Norm who told me, somebody asked him, well, what about this guy on the, on, on the middle of an, uh, an island out in the middle of nowhere? And Norm said, well, if they're one of God's sheep, God will show them to preach to <laughs> Oh, my. <clears throat> First Peter, chapter 1, verse 23 to 25. Oh, our God is a God ready to pardon. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 to 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which or this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Do you see the importance of preaching the gospel? It's vital. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. And Lord willing, the men who fill this pulpit, the men who we have come and preach, well, that's the one thing. Sir, we would see Jesus preach the gospel to us. Preach about the mighty substitute. Preach about Christ. That's who I want to hear about. Oh, so we see from Scriptures that our God is a God ready to pardon. Ready to pardon. Ready to pardon. May God grant you faith to believe.